Today, as we're talking, I was thinking about our fast starting, and Steve started us off last week with fasting and why we fast. Um, and today, I'm going to be talking about meditating in Scripture, and, and this is the feasting part of the fast. So uh, the title of our sermon and what we're going toward is Feasting While Fasting. I was thinking about fasting a lot, especially after our sermon, and I was thinking, why, why do we fast? What do we, what's, what's the fast about for, for me? There's so many different reasons. But for me, I would say it makes me think that I'm developing my internal no. I'm developing my internal no. And feasting on the word of God develops my internal yes. And I heard a quote one time that, um, and, and this is my riff on it, that God encounters us in a lot of ways. He encounters us through healing, through our emotions, through deliverance, through worship. And a lot of those can be a, a big emotional response. God will also encounter us through our intellect, through study, through new ideas, through those aha moments, and we encounter. And they're not mutually exclusive. I can feel emotion in this, and I can feel that, um, that new knowledge in another but to complete the cycle, God encounters us, but the reason he encounters us is to get our will and our partnership. So he may encounter us through our emotions, he may encounter us through our intellect, but what he wants is our will. And fasting is a way for us to develop our will. So I think about this time of fasting and I think of what Henry said at the end of our sermon last week of sometimes we're doing this fast and we white knuckle it or we get through or sometimes we fast and fail or sometimes we um, are not even going to go there because we can't, we can't ensure our success. And I remember what Steve said last week that fasting is not a performance. We are not fasting for God. We are not fasting to get from God. We are fasting out of a place of approval. You are accepted. And it made me think about on the night Jesus was betrayed, he went to Peter, Peter and he says, you will betray me three times before the rooster crows. And what did Peter says? I will not. Maybe everybody else will, but I will not. Does Jesus know or does Jesus know? Before the rooster crows, he denies him three times. Also that very night, he asks his disciples, will you stay up with me and pray with me all night? And even though they didn't say, yes, we will, he goes to them multiple times because they will not. And so I just want to encourage you that as you are entering into this time of feasting and fasting on God's word, bring your whole self into it. More than once, almost every time, in the middle of a fast, at some point I say to myself, I am a terrible faster. Whatever the right way is, I'm sure this isn't it. Because I am encountered at that place of my will, and at the place of my will is where I'm really weak. That highlights for me every, all of these weakness of, I can't do this. I didn't do it right. I wasn't in the, my, the right mindset. I forgot to do this. I'm spitting out food over the sink because I forgot. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, something like that. Or you just, or you just get to that point of, of, I bit off more than I can chew, or I forgot I'm fasting because it wasn't even significant what I'm fasting. 
So we get to that point, bring your whole self into the fast. Bring your weakness into the fast. Jesus already knows. He wants to cultivate in us a stronger will, the ability to say yes and the ability to say no, and he wants to meet us in that moment. But he also wants to encounter us. So this circle can start with encounter, like I encountered Jesus, and so then I want to say yes and no, yes to the right things, no to the to the wrong things. And these fasting, these are not prohibited items. You know, if we're cutting out dessert or we're not fasting, we're fasting on Tuesday mornings from chocolate chip muffins. You know, whatever that fast is, it's not a prohibited item. When we set that before the Lord and we say, I'm going to say no to this, we are learning how to develop our will before the Lord. We're learning how to communicate with him. And he's developing that in us. But this whole circle he wants to develop, he wants to develop this encounter and this through our mind, through our will, through our emotions, deliverance, healing. He wants our will. And when we will and follow him in obedience, there is power there is more deliverance, and then there's more encounter. Do you see how this goes around? But if we encounter, and there's no following, we say around here that Jesus invites us, and, and the invitation and the challenge, he invites us, but then he challenges us. We also talk about the Kairos circle. If, if any of you have been in that, he comes to us in a moment, and he challenges us. Will you do this? Will you go this way? And we have the opportunity to say yes and to say no. And so this time during the fast is when we establish and start to develop with Jesus our internal yes and our internal no. So I hope that's encouraging to you. And I want you wherever you're at, chocolate chip muffins on Tuesday mornings, that's what you have to give. Enter the whole fast with your whole self with Jesus and meet him in the place of your will. So let's talk today about meditation. What does it mean to feast in the fast? Because if we're just in a fast and we're saying, no, I won't, no, I won't, no, I won't. And we're not saying, yes, I will to anything. It's a really depressing place to be. No, I won't eat that. I'm not eating that. See, I didn't eat that. Okay, I made it till noon or I made it till this long and I didn't eat that. Then that becomes the fixation. But what God wants to do is every time we have that craving, turn it into an eternal moment. And if you're fasting on Tuesday mornings from chocolate chip muffins, you might even, that might even be a cue for you. Is it Tuesday? That's a cue to feast on God's word. That's a feast to fast on the, pre uh, to feast on the presence of Jesus. Is, it, is that a muffin? Is that a muffin? Is it a chocolate chip muffin? Feasting on God's word. That's a cue, feasting, feasting, feasting. Zero to 60, right? We're going to get lighter a little later on in our sermon, but I just wanted to encourage you, participate in the fast however you want to, and meet Jesus, bring your whole self into it. So as we're talking about feasting, we're talking about meditating. So what is meditation? Where am I pointing? Okay, good. What is Christian meditation? You might think of meditation, and in Eastern um, meditation, it is to empty your mind. But Christian meditation is actively interaction, acting with the scriptures by analyzing, praying, engaging, and internalizing biblical truth to be 
transformed into the likeness of God. So that is my definition. You can insert the presence of Jesus. You can insert worship in there. But meditating on the scriptures by analyzing, praying, engaging, internalizing biblical truth to be transformed into the likeness of God. So it's very distinct. We're not emptying our minds. We're filling our, our minds. And we're engaging all of our senses. And we'll talk about that a little bit more and when we talk about how. So we're just, here's your Hebrew word of the day. The Hebrew word of the day is Hagah. It is in Hebrew, and this is to meditate. So when the Bible talks about what is meditation, they use this word Hagah, and it's mostly used for animals. One animal is the lion, and when a lion gets to its prey, it Hagahs. It meditates. It's the noise that they make when they're just about to rip apart their prey. I watched some YouTube videos. You can. I don't recommend it. It was a little, it was a little graphic. But they make a sound of savoring as they are enjoying and devouring their prey. It is also spoken of about doves and the sounds that they make to each other, cooing back and forth. So haggaiing or meditating, whatever you thought about it before, like, think, what do I think meditation is? Do I think it is saying something over and over or in my head or solitary? Think of these animals that haggaiing over prey is devouring. It's a physical, it's an auditory, it's a participatory experience with this animal. And then it is between two doves. They're hagaing back and forth. They're speaking back and forth to one another in cooing. So it is also communal in that way. So it kind of opens up our thought of what we thought meditation might be or did for me. So now we're looking, let's look at an example of haga and meditation in the scriptures. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the council in the step I'm sorry, I memorized it in King James, so I fight with that. Um, who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take seat, sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the God of the Lord and who meditates hagaz on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. So this hagaing is like a tree that is rooted in streams of living water. So this process of meditation is nourishing to our soul. So while we're fasting and we're feeling the pinch physically, spiritually, we're feasting and meditating on God's word, drawing in that nourishment. I was also thinking about Psalm 1 and thinking about this seed that is planted by streams of living water. And then the next part of it says, but the wicked not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And when they do the process of winnowing these seeds and throwing them up in the air to, to have the right, uh, the seeds come down and the, the excess matter fly away. Anything, the hull around the seed is the chaff. And they would throw it up in the air. And what has life 
and potential falls to the ground. What has weight, what has value falls to the ground. It is weight like glory. So when we're receiving the seed of the Holy Spirit, that makes us have the potential and life of the Holy Spirit. So we're trying to infuse this life into us by hagawing over scripture, by meditating on scripture so that we can grow into these trees and be fruitful to others. We're not, ta-da, I'm a tree. Ta-da, I've got great branches. I'm fruitful for others. I am now of benefit to birds, etc., etc. It's also used in Joshua 1.7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn for the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book in the law always on your lips. Hagaing this book of the law. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So this meditation brings protection and it brings nourishment. There is a corporate element. There's an individual element to it. So as we go into the feast, let's think of meditation in this way. But I was jumping over this point as I was writing the sermon. I said, so what is meditation? Why do we meditate? How do we meditate? And I was jumping over the probably most important part. And it was, why did Jesus meditate? So Jesus was a, um, was a Jewish boy raised in the synagogue. He would have memorized much of the Torah, gone there uh, as his religious practice, and had the deposits of much of scripture placed in him by the disciplines of his culture, his religion, his parents, um, all of that. And he had a great wealth and depository. But what, why did he meditate? And so I looked uh, in scripture, and the first reason is to know his identity. So in the synagogue, in Luke 4, 17 through 21, it reads, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He knew who he was. This deposit of Isaiah was in him and he identified with it and he says this is who i am this deposit this meditation on scripture informed his identity to the point that he could inhabit it he could become it so why else did jesus meditate to know the truth when the enemy speaks lies let's read that account when he when he encountered uh, the enemy. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
The devil led him to a high place and showed him an instant kingdoms of all the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he, now this is the enemy saying, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune moment. So the word of God deposited in Jesus from this meditation was his defense against the lies of the enemy. And he spoke it back. But Jesus also meditates as a declaration of hope in anguish. When our Lord was hanging on the cross, do you remember what he said? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's what he said on the cross with his dying breaths. But what all of the Jewish hearers would have heard is that is the first line from Psalm 22. He is speaking this meditation of scripture and it's coming out to him of him in the middle of this anguish. And he is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's read on in Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest yet. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus is crying out in anguish, but he's declaring that I am the deliverer. I am the savior. I am the one that is fulfilling this hope of all of Israel. In the middle of his anguish, he has purpose. He has hope because he knows his identity and he's not listening to the lies of the enemy and his suffering has purpose and he knows it because of this deep wealth of meditation and deposit of truth in him. And so, why else? He meditates to teach others the truth. So then after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, in Luke 24, he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he used this great deposit and he was able to tell the good news of the gospel to these uh, travelers. So they asked each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So that's Jesus. He did a really good job of meditating and applying that great wealth and deposit. So what about us? Well, the answer is all the same. I read for us all of those same reasons. There are other reasons for us, but I thought we'd play a a quick game of Holy Bible or Twisted Scripture. Because I know, even from today, what is the promises? We said, what are the promises God is speaking to you? What are those things? Those are all coming from the Word of God, from your previous meditations, from what you've heard and chewed on and what you have hugged over in your life. And, and God is bringing those to your memory. I was reading a book about missionaries in persecuted churches, and during times of greatest persecution and least amount of access to the Word, there was a great emphasis on meeting together in small groups and memorizing great portions of scripture. They couldn't open the word, so he, this, this fellow went to Russia and then also to the, the Chinese church and was talking to them about what is, the, what is the richness, and they said, it's desperation. Desperation makes us want to cling to and eat the word of God. So think about it in our context. In our culture, we have access, and we don't have much desperation. I don't know if anybody is missing a meal around here except when you intend to. We have such comfort that we almost have to manufacture that desperation so that we can manufacture that time because good times produce weak people and hard times produce strong people. And so when we come into the presence of God, even with our fasting and our... um, sacrifices, it can produce in us a desperation that will produce great fruit. So we've already done this, but let's just see where we're at about now. I'll read, we'll put up there a scripture, and we'll say, you can just do it in your head if if you don't want to shout it out, but is this holy scripture or holy Bible or twisted scripture? All God's ways are mysterious. Based, it's based on the concept is Holy Bible. It's not in there word for word because we always say God works in mysterious ways. We hear that one. We say, is that in the Bible? Is that really there? I don't know. Isaiah fifty-five eight and nine. For your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so is my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. If you believe in yourself and also in me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. So God's ways are mysterious. They are higher than our ways. We can say that. Second one. If you believe in yourself and also in me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Holy Bible, twisted scripture. Twisted scripture. John seven thirty-eight says, whoever believes in me, believe in yourself. That's real shaky ground. The Bible says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. How about this one? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Holy Bible, twisted scripture. We're we're saying holy Bible. It is very close. John 8, 31, look at context. 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It comes back to that will, that full circle, that, that faith, um, faith without works is dead, that there is a full service, that circle that true faith will produce works and understanding and encounter, and that comes back around. It says, when you hold to my teachings, follow through on my teachings, apply my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. It unlocks the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just an intellectual encounter with God. It is a step of faith into the truth of God. Test and see that this is true. Let's try another one. Money is the root of all evil. Holy Bible, twisted scripture. Twisted scripture. That's right. Um, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. First Timothy Whatever that says. Six. How about this one? Hear these words. Never will I give you more than you can endure. I tried to make it sound Bible-ish, but, you know, don't you hear that a lot? God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you tried to encourage that, those words to, like, was dying on the cross more than Jesus could handle? It's like, well, he will be with you. Oh. No temptation has taken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So God is with us in those tough times. But yeah, there will be times where we think this is more than I can handle. And guess what that creates? Desperation. And God said to us this morning, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you and I will be showing you the way of escape. And we need to cling to him in those times where we say, no, this is the moment that I have more than I can handle. How about this? I am the, oh, maybe I cut that. So let's go on to why we meditate. All the same re reasons as Jesus and meditation converts our imagination to the invisible kingdom. So we know that there's the kingdom of this world that we can sense, taste, see, smell. It motivates our emotions. We react to it and respond to it daily. But the unseen kingdom is actually more real than this world is. And when we have those encounters, either emotionally or intellectually, it's like our head can slip up. Our imagination can slip up into the invisible kingdom. And we can see it. We can be motivated by that kingdom. We can participate in that kingdom and we can see it and we can bring the invisible kingdom in touch with that. But N.T. Wright says, one of the hardest conversions of them all is to convert our imaginations, to allow our imaginations to see the unseen world that is as real as what we see, touch, sense, and feel. So what we're doing when we meditate is we are trying to convert our imagination. We are trying to divert our attention to the unseen kingdom of God, to the truths that exist in the kingdom, rather than what we see, taste, smell, feel, fear in this kingdom. All right? Okay. What? 
So Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. We also meditate. Meditation fuels our imagination to the invisible kingdom. It fuels knowing the truth of God versus the lie that the enemy presents. Just like with Jesus, when the enemy speaks lies to us, we have the armor of God's worth and truth, Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Do you know that the battle is a lot of times in your mind against truth and error? And we have to capture and fight the error and the lies with truth from God's word. Meditation engages us with the living word of God. All for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divining the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Remember what Jesus said in John 1. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. When we come to the word, it is living and active because the word is the spirit of God. So when we meditate on the word, we are participating in the truth of Jesus that is his spirit and Jesus. So um, meditation corrects, teaches, and changes us into the image of God. Second Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we meditate on scripture and we learn who God is and what his ways are, it's a course corrector for us. It's a motivator for us. It's a comforter for us. It teaches us. And meditation, when we meditate, we know how to obey. We know the paths that we are to walk in. We don't stand in the path of sinners and sit in the, in, in the way of scoffers but we delight in the word of God. And so uh, Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When we meditate, there was a group of seminary students sitting in a classroom and they had them meditate on a portion of scripture. And he says, I'm gonna have you meditate on this portion of scripture for 30 minutes. And they said, seminary students, where are our commentaries? Where is, this? I need my computer. I need, they said, nope, we just want you to sit Meditate on this scripture, pray about it, think about it, devour it. 30 minutes of silence. And at the end, they had a sharing time, what they learned, what, they, what their meditation um, produced. And at the end of that time, he said, and during the 30 minutes, at what time did these truths come to you? And almost uniformly, they came at the end. So the longer they spent meditating on the word of God, the more truth was unfolded for them. So let's just move on to how to, oh, I don't have a slide. Our meditation will be on Romans 8, but let's go into how. So how do you meditate on scripture? You might think of a way, and it might sound really boring, but let's like open up. Let's just like break the lid off of this thing and think of a million different ways we can meditate. I'm going to, you know, give you my brainstorm, but I want you to take my brainstorm and say, oh, if I could do that, maybe I could do this. So typical meditation is read the text aloud. Meditate. 
on the text and ask questions. Think of implications and imagine applications. So when we look at a text, we might say, what does it mean to be planted by a stream of water? Am I like a tree? What is that? And we start asking questions of the text. Have you seen those videos about um, like um, funny teen texts where the texts come to their parents and the teenagers say, so can I get lung cancer from smoked turkey, eating smoked turkey? And there's just a bunch of texts. Does, when does my social security number expire? Um, the next question is like, um, does grandma have a real name? Like I've only ever called her grandma. And they send all of these texts and you read through them and you just go, ah, oh, ha, 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 they don't know, they don't know, they don't know. I was thinking, the Lord was telling me, that's how you need to come to meditating. Do you have dumb questions? Do you say, what does this mean? I don't even get that. How does this relate to that? Come to the Lord, come to your family with your dumb questions and say, I'm reading this, but it really bugs me. Or I'm reading this and it doesn't make any sense. Or what does this mean? So meditating on scripture is like asking all of those questions. So it is also repeat, repeat, repeat. Here's the thing. If I say, we are a Christ-centered, you would say, spirit-empowered, family on mission. And if I say, you, you know, it's a good practice to memorize scripture, many of you would say, oh, I can't memorize. But yet, every Sunday morning, we throw that thing up there, and a lot of people are just like right through it. I'm like saying, if I say, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that, um, it's in there. It's in there. I know. If I say, sweet Caroline, you might go, uh-huh. So, like, there's memorization techniques that you all have and engage on a regular basis. And a lot of those come through, through music. It's like we can memorize and repeat and put, my husband will often sing out, like, I've been reading the Psalms and I wrote my own song to it because that just helps um, helps us remember. So pray, slow down, pray the words over yourself and others. This is something we're going to do. We're going to ask those questions. We're going to imagine what that is like. You know, our meditation verse for next week is there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. When we slow that down, we say it out loud. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What do I think of when I say it again? When somebody says, I love you, and you say, I love you, and, you, and then you look at them, you put your hands in their cheeks and you say, I love you. Then that person is just like, okay. And then if I look at them and I embrace them and I say, I love you. Now the meaning of those words is really seeking in and taking root. When we say there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. My mom was saying, um, when she meditates on scripture, she'll, she will do repetition, but she'll say, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Then she'll say, bless the Lord, who is, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is. Bless the Lord, O my soul. <laughs> Put the emphasis on different syllables. And those tricks and tips will help 
something familiar take root and take anchor and be used as fuel. We talk and we say, sometimes you just have to load that truth in because you don't know when you're going to need it. But when you need it, the Holy Spirit will pull it out of you and put it right there. How about... Okay, some of, some of us do think, like, I got to think. I got to get the commentary. I need to know what this word means. I'm going to study this. I'm going to pull it apart like a lion devouring its prey. I want to know what the Bible means by that. And that, for you, is an encounter with Jesus. For some of us, it's like, I need to write this down. I learned with a couple of my kids that if they wrote their spelling words over and over again, that really helped them. But if they wrote it on a whiteboard, it engaged a different part of their brain. It was a large muscle activity as opposed to a small muscle activity. So then at some point in time, maybe some of you are getting ready to paint a room. And maybe you want to meditate on scripture. And so you're going to get paint of a different color. And you're just going to paint this room with the scripture that you're meditating on. And then you're just going to write that over and over again so that when you fall down, so that it's a multi-sensory experience. You see it. You engage it. It's activity for you. Maybe it's a beautiful mural. Maybe it's a painting. Not the music, but maybe it's like, I'm going to take Psalm 23 and I'm going to paint that. A word of caution on all of these things. You can spend so much time getting all the stuff, making the plan, doing the da-da-da-da-da, that the meditation and this stuff just like, oh, there's all the stuff, now I have to unwrap it, now I've got to do it, when am I going to do it, all of that kind of stuff. Don't let it be like that. Do something that fits you. What about calligraphy? Maybe making something beautiful, writing out a different scripture every day. So we're praying it, we're, we're meditating on it, we're studying it, we're painting it, we're doing poetry, we're singing music with the scripture. Something that you delight in, something that you joy, enjoy. Uh, we have friends that have memorized scripture. Jim went on a hike with one, my mom was encountering another. She says, uh, we memorized, my mom's friend says, I memorized the whole book of James. Whole book of James, she says, but if I don't keep saying it, then I'll forget it. So can we get together so that I can keep practicing the book of James? Jim was on a hike with his prayer buddy out in Idaho, and he says to Jim, would you like to hear the book of, of Galatians, Ephesians, or Philippians? I need to keep it practicing. You can, you can choose one of those. Because he says, I need to know the word of God. If all the computers go down and the Bibles are burned, we're going to that guy and say, oh, can you, can you say that? We can go to this girl and say, could you give me that book of James? We can sing the Kit Kat commercial, but we want those people who invest in the word of God that have sunk it so deep that it is part of their DNA. So memorizing. Um, how about motions, walking, running? Some of us, I learned that I take down so much more information when I'm moving than when I'm sitting. So I need to be moving. And they say one of the best ways to prevent dementia is to walk and talk at the same time. I said, yes, I got that one. I like to talk and walk at the same time. And if you're calling, look at all of us. If we're going through fasting and feasting together and meditating, call my buddy. Can I just tell you, talk to you what I'm, I'm meditating on? We're speaking to each other in psalms and spiritual songs. and. 
hymns and scriptures, and we're building each other up. Can I just talk this through with you, what God's been saying to me, what's true in scripture, how it applies? And don't ignore the part of imagining what does the world like differently if this is true? How can this become true in my setting with my people how I can pray through that, but I can imagine it. What can I apply? God, what do you want me to do toward creating this truth and bringing this invisible kingdom into this visible world? How are we going to bring those things together through prayer, through meditation, through action, through application? So our meditation is Romans 8. So we're going to spend time, and we have free parting gifts for all of you in your seatback pockets are um, bookmarks. And these are our meditation. If you would like to participate with us in the next three weeks, we are, as a body, going to be focusing in on Romans 8. Romans was written by Paul. It's the most comprehensive uh, work of, of the gospel. And he was writing to a church who had been segregated Jews from Gentiles. And he needed both to be on the same page. And it is found in Romans. And Romans 8 talks about the gospel. And he talks about our relationship to God and one another. So we're going to meditate. So what does meditating on Romans 8 look like for you? I'm printing it in large font. A lot of you are digital. Can you make a digital poster? Could you, for yourself, can you work with the fonts and make them bigger and smaller and more beautiful? Maybe that's your gift and something that would delight you during that time. So we're going to be meditating on this, and each week we're going to be setting up. This week we're going to be meditating on Romans 8, 1 through 17. We're going to be really savoring verses 1 and 2 about there is no condemnation because the law, we've been freed to the, from the law of sin and death by Christ Jesus. And we're going to be savoring that part of it, but maybe you challenge yourself saying, I'm going to memorize Romans 8. I'm going to just sit in Romans 8, and it's going to be part of my DNA by the end of this fast. I'm going to feast on Romans 8. I, I challenge you to participate in that. So we are all challenged, armed, and ready. I encourage you to bring your whole self into the fast, your will, and to meet Jesus in that place of feasting on his word and developing that internal no and that internal yes so that we can be prepared for every good work that Jesus has for us in bringing the invisible kingdom of God to earth, to this visible kingdom. Amen.